0: Our call to worship is from Psalm 19. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together.
1: and night to night reveals knowledge and then he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat
2: Taylor to come back, come back up, not for announcement, but to, to be ordained as a, a ruling elder here at the church. Some of you might recall that a while back, uh, we elected Taylor as an elder, and we are in the busyness of the fall and getting back at Waters just now, um, installing and ordaining him. So, sorry about that, Taylor. But, uh, um, but as you'll see a note in here, this is a great opportunity for us to give thanks for Taylor, but also a chance to give thanks for God's church and how God organizes the church. Because God loves us, Um, he not only rescues us, but connects us to one another and to a church community. And in that, his care for the church, he sets up leadership. And part of that leadership is called ruling elders. Elders that come from the congregation that you'll see here are nominated by members. Then they go through officer training. Then they go through an exam with the current elders and then presented back to the congregation that you can vote on them. And so Taylor went through that process and he was elected. And so we are thankful now that we can ask him these vows and set him apart for this work. And so the, the elder's job is to shepherd the church, to govern and care for the people of God. So let's let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks that you are a God that is good. And in your goodness towards us, you gather us together in a community that you connect us to one another. And that in doing so, you also care for the community by giving gifts to your people, calling us to care for one another, and using our gifts to glorify you and to serve the church. We thank you for that work that you're doing, and we thank you in particular for Taylor and for his family. Thank you for how they are a blessing to us, and we pray that this time that you would set Taylor apart and that we would be able to celebrate this thing, good thing in our church community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so as you'll see in your order, there's... Six vows that a a ruling elder takes. And so, Taylor, I'll ask these to you and confirm them by saying, I do. And I ask you these before God and for your church. Taylor, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will on your own initiative make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this vow. Do Do you approve the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with general principles of biblical polity? do. Do you accept this office and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer. Do Do you promise objection to your fellow elders in the Lord? And do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? Wonderful. And as you'll see, there is a congregational question here in the order. And so if you, if this, if you're a member of the church, or if this is the church that is your home church, I invite you to respond by saying I do to this question, but it reminds us that this is a connection, a relationship that exists. Do you, the members of Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church acknowledge and receive Taylor as a ruling elder? And do you promise to yield him all that honor, encouragement and obedience in the Lord to which this office, according to the word of God and constitution of this church, entitles him. I do, I do. Well, I'm going to invite Adonijah to continue to come up on behalf of the elders, and he's going to offer a prayer of ordination for
3: Taylor. Um, let us pray. Father, we praise you for your kindness and mercy, and thank you that out of your love for us, you have called us to you and placed this church here in Lincoln Square. This morning especially, we thank you for our brother Taylor, who you have called specifically to the officer of elder to guide and nurture us as we seek to grow in your love and love for you, for one another, and for our neighbors. We thank you for the ways in which you have blessed him with a thoughtful and caring heart, with a willingness to see both the ways we witness to the beauty of your creation and the truth that we often deviate and desecrate it, deviate from it and desecrate it. We pray that you bless these gifts that you have given him by continuing to draw him near to you, strengthening his faith in the face of trials and despair. Fill his soul with hope, with the hope of your promise. Veil him in your incomparable love. As he serves this congregation, give him a spirit of wisdom and discernment as he reasons together with the elders and deacons for the good of this people and for the glory of your kingdom. We thank you for Anna, Elizabeth, Quinn, Graham, Lillian, and for the myriad ways that they love and care for the people of this church. Bless and keep them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: So I get to make a a pronouncement. It's a very Presbyterian moment here. (laughs) Taylor, I now pronounce and declare that you have been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as a ruling elder at Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church, agreeable to the word of God, and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, you are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's, let's we should, let's, let's let go ahead. Um, and just as the, I asked the congregation a question a moment ago, um, I'm gonna invite Monica Johnson to come up and on behalf of the congregation, just to pray a prayer of blessing for the work that God's doing uh, here at Lincoln Square Press.
0: Father God, we thank you so much for Taylor and just for calling him as elder to serve. We thank you for the ways you've gifted him, for his teaching and compassion and for his wisdom. Lord, we thank you for all of our elders and their willingness to serve in the church. We pray that you would guide them with your spirit, that you would help them as they lead us, and that we would be an encouragement to them as a congregation, as they encourage us. Lord, we pray for the fruitfulness of Lincoln Square Presbyterian church, that our ministry would be fruitful not only in our lives as individuals, but in our neighborhood and in our community. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that love you with our whole heart and that love our neighbors as ourselves. We thank you in your name. Amen. stand together and we'll sing.
4: I skipped the prayer of invocation. (laughs) Sorry, I got too excited.
1: (laughs) Um, Before we pray, uh, let's have, we're going to dismiss the kids first. So kids, uh, so the children are dismissed for children's worship, and the junior high is meeting today, so feel free. And uh, let's be seated. Let's pray. Almighty God, you made the heavens and the earth, and you said that they were good. You give us life and you call us out of sin and rebellion into your covenant family. And as we continue our worship now, make us aware of your presence. And by your spirit, may we be full of your resurrection life. And Lord, lead us, uh, lead us into meekness and humility. Give us self-awareness and understanding that, that we may see ourselves rightly as sinners and in, in need of your grace and your transformation. And Father, in your kindness, in your, in your loving mercy, work in us to love our neighbors as ourselves, that they would see your grace, that they would see your love and be made new. Lord, meet those of us who feel strong today, those of us who even feel weak in our faith. Meet those of us in, in our places of fear, in the season of loneliness, in our concerns about the future. Lord, meet those of us who feel full and vibrant May we persist in the strength that you provide. Father, meet us in all of these places with your grace and change us by it. In the name of Christ, amen.
4: Now we'll stand for real. (laughs)
1: turn now to our time of confession and assurance a time where we look to the mercy of God and we'll do this together as a people and then have a time of personal quiet confession the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against things such things there is no law God, you have loved us with unfailing, steadfast love, but we have not loved you. You call us to love our neighbors, but we are wrapped in our own concerns and interest. We humbly ask you to make us like trees planted by the waterside, that we may bring forth your fruit your spirit in due season and readily share the abundance of your love. Please take a moment of quiet personal confession. Father, we confess our sin. We confess knowing that Jesus, who was rich in glory, became poor for our sake, so that in him alone we might become rich in mercy and grace. We give thanks in his name, amen. We'll stand now to hear our words of assurance that come to us from Romans chapter eight. Let's join together. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. As we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
4: Lesson is from Isaiah 12, 1 through 6. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And the New Testament lesson is from Luke 21. through 19 and while some were speaking of the temple how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings he said as for these things that you see the days will come that when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down and they asked him teacher when will these things be and what will be the signs when these things are about to take place and he said see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is at hand Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Well, good morning. It's good to be here worshiping with you, and thanks, Nicole, for reading the scriptures. Sorry. (laughs) Today, and then uh, next Sunday, we're going to finish our fall series on uh, the book of Romans. So, today we're going to look at chapter 7, and then we'll look at chapter 8 next week, and then we'll move into a season of Advent. Uh, But before I read our passage from chapter 7, I just want to kind of remind us of where we are and what's been happening. Uh, Romans, in the first chapter, Paul makes a statement that, in many ways, is a statement of kind of summarying the book I'm not ashamed of the gospel. not ashamed of the gospel of god for it's the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes and what we've been talking about the last couple weeks is that one way to understand this gospel salvation in jesus is to picture two houses god in power has moved us from one structure to a new one the apostle paul calls our old house the house of adam our first father And it's a place of trespass, ordered by the logic of death, marked by separation with a culture of silence, shame, fear, and condemnation. In this house, we are told, you're on your own. Told directly and indirectly, you must look out for yourself. And we all know this house. We all know this experience. And we all know the longing for a different place. You're on your own, but the gospel proclaims something different. We've been seeing this throughout Romans, that this proclamation that there is another house, the home built by Jesus, a home marked by love and life. In that proclamation, we, we saw last week, that proclamation brought all sorts of questions and criticism. In chapter 6, last week, we heard the criticism something like this, Paul, this, this sounds too good to be true you keep talking about grace you even say that as our sin increases or becomes more clear that grace increases that grace abounds such that it's always greater than our sin paul are you saying that we should just keep on sinning just keep living the old way and last week we saw in chapter 6 paul respond by saying no by no means If we've left Adam's house, where sin reigns, how can we keep living as if we still belong to that house? Do you not realize, do you not remember, we packed up and left that place for good. We live in a new home now, and Jesus has welcomed us in, and we stand in this house under the reign of grace. It's in this house that God has justified and declared fully accepted in Christ, the weak and the ungodly. So that answer that Paul gives that we looked at last week leads into more questions, <laughs> more criticism. That what brings us to chapter 7 today. And here the questions center on the, the law of God. The questions center on does God's law have anything to do with us if we move into this new house? the word law or commandment or written code, these words, every one of them is mentioned in the first 14 verses of chapter seven. And overall, those words are mentioned 35 times in the whole chapter. And here's what they're all getting at, the question, Paul, it it seems like, Paul, you're dismissing God's law. But in Psalm 19, which we actually sang here in the beginning of the service, in Psalm 19, we read God's law is more precious than gold. God's commandments are sweeter than honey. So are you saying that God's law is bad, that it simply belongs to the old house? Paul, does God's law, does God's commands have anything to do if we live in a new house? So that's the question that our passage is addressing today. So I invite you to look at Romans 7, verse 7 through 25 with me. It's printed in your order. You can follow there or you can follow along in your bible what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means yet if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin for i would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is God's word given for our good. Well, there is a lot going on in this passage. And it's one of the passages that gets a lot of attention in the book of Romans. And so we won't be able to touch on everything, but if you have questions, I'm happy to talk more afterwards. But as we try to kind of wrestle with this question about Does the law of God still apply to those who have moved into a new house, into the house of Christ? I want to look at two things, two, two other questions that maybe will help us move through our passage and make sense of it. The first question is, how can the law be both good and an instrument of sin and death? And what does this tension say about us? So let's start with this first question. How can the law be both good and an instrument of sin and death? Our passage opens, What then shall we say? Is the law sinful? Is it bad? And Paul answers, By no means. It's not sin. God's law is holy, good, and righteous. So then, how can the law, if it's good, prove to be the death of me? And Paul's answer, what we will see, he say in multiple different ways through our passage, is that the law is not bad, it's not sinful but the law reveals sin. It brings knowledge of sin. In order to point this out, he, he uses a kind of a little narrative around the experience of hearing the law say, you shall not covet. You shall not jealously desire. This good commandment tells us God's will. For us, it tells us what neighborly love looks like. Yet in hearing it, it also brings knowledge of sin working in us. I hear, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, your neighbor's possessions, anything that belongs to your neighbor. But I discover upon hearing this that my heart, rather than rejoicing in the gifts and the good of my neighbor or my classmate or my sibling or my coworker, Instead of rejoicing, what I find is that the law has now helped me see all sorts of ways that I'm jealous or angry or resentful towards this other person. An example of this is very early in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we read about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel. He's jealous because Abel's sacrifice was brought to God and it was a good sacrifice. God sees Cain and his jealousy and he says to him, "Watch out. Watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires, it desires to have you. Sin desires to have you." This might sound strange, but one of the things we see throughout Romans is that sin is personified as a tyrant who seizes the opportunity to deceive and capture as a bully that uses even good things like the law or being told how to love your neighbor rightly. And this bully uses it to hold me down, to show my guilt and my shame and to condemn me. See, the question, how can the law be both good and an instrument of sin and death? Our passage says there's this strange development, the very commandment that promised life, do not covet, proved to be the death of me, the good instruction becomes an occasion to sin. Or to say it this way, and this is the experience that we all have and all of our neighbors, the more we embrace God's law, the more it says to us, you have broken me. You have broken me. Earlier in Romans, Paul gave the example of Israel for this experience. Israel was adopted by God, given the law, and called to be a light to all the nations of the world. Yet what's Israel's experience? They find that they are unable to keep the law. And the more they say, oh, the law of God is so important, they find that the law says back to them, you've broken me. They copy the ways of Adam. And so the good law shows that Jews, just like their Gentile neighbors, are lawbreakers in desperate need of the mercy of the God who can declare the ungodly to be just and accepted. Or to go back to our opening image, the law is not, does not enable me, it does not enable me to get out of the house of Adam. It does not lead us out of our sin. Actually, it intensifies it. It helps us see how bad the house is, how broken things are, how we want to be in a different place. And so, what shall we say then? Is the law of God sinful or is it bad? And as I was thinking about this question, what, a couple of things came to my mind. One is a mirror getting rid of the mirror getting rid of a mirror doesn't change our appearance yeah we know that right <laughs> getting rid of the mirror doesn't change how we look or another one think of a, of a doctor or a healthcare care professional ignoring the doctor because we don't like what she says doesn't make our condition go away revealing a health problem doesn't mean that the health care worker is bad. And so in the same way, the law of God is righteous, yet it reveals our unrighteousness. The law of God is holy, yet through it we see sin's power to twist and to hold us. The law of God is good, yet it does not give us the power to find life. The law of God is good, but it doesn't have the power to change us Or to lead us out of the house of Adam. So we're reminded in this question, this opening question of a foundational part of Romans and of the gospel. That you and I, that we cannot get out from under sin. We cannot get out from under this tyrant and bully. Through works of the law. We cannot find full acceptance with God and his house through works of the law. We need something more than correct teaching, true statements, or right rules. We need something more. So how can the law be both good and an instrument of sin and death? Well, God's law is good and just. It's not sinful, but it reveals our sin. It reveals sin's work to condemn us and to hold us, but it lacks the power to change us. So what does this tension say about us? If that's the first question, how about the second? What does this tension say about you and me? Well, if we saw earlier that Paul uses a kind of a little mini narrative about you shall not covet. But now we see in the second part of our passage this kind of longer narrative of the battle within us. Maybe some of you have heard this passage before, but it's one that resonates with many people, the experience internally, what Paul describes as the battle between the mind and the flesh or the inner being and the body of death. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing." Words written thousands of years ago that speak in a very personal and universal way. There was a headline in the news recently as the headline says, Japan's oldest toilet smashed.
3: <laughs>
2: if you see that headline, you have to read the story, I'm pretty sure. What I found was that a 500-year public bathroom was smashed by a car. But here's the part the reason I'm telling you. The car was driven by an employee of the Heritage Society. The very person charged with protecting the site accidentally backed his car over it. Poor Japanese bathroom in that humorous way how doesn't it somehow summarize us the very things we want to take care of the very things we're even called to care for marriages our work our families our parenting our friendships in these very places we find ourselves not doing the things we want but actually doing things that we don't want to do In sad ways, maybe even breaking down the things that we were tasked to care for. And it comes to realize that we all have this problem that we're invited to see that we we can figure out the right thing. We can figure out the right thing. But for some reason, we can't manage to do it. We see that a certain course of action is wrong or unhelpful, yet we go ahead and we do it. No, none of us like this tension, this conflict within us. And what we've seen, and there's ways in which we try to get out from the conflict. I want to mention, too, that are often attractive to Christians, attractive to Christians that ultimately are unhelpful. We can call them legalism or kind of being anti-law, saying, you know, we just got to get rid of these commandments. And it might not be obvious But both of these ways, legalism and kind of being an anti-commandment, are just ways of staying by yourself. The old ways of Adam, I'm on my own. I'm going to make it work out. You see, in legalism, I receive the rules. I'll take them, and I'm going to go live them. My place in the new house, if I get there, is based on my performance and how I view other people is, <clears throat> in myself is through this lens. Are you holy or are you a sinner? Are you keeping the rules or are you not? Am I more or am I less holy than you? And ultimately this approach to the tension, we're hoping that will somehow resolve this tension because I'm gonna, Christians are those who keep the things they're supposed to keep. It either leads to our aloneness and our self-righteousness look, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. Or it leads to our aloneness further in our despair and our being crushed. I can't do it. On the other side, another way that we try to deal with this tension and this conflict within us is just to say we got to forget God's law altogether. You stop talking about what we're supposed to do or what we're not supposed to do. <clears throat> they're, they're too much anyway, right? There's too much that God's asking I'm going to let them go, especially when they become a source of tension or when they block my plans and my desires. I'll feel better when I get rid of the connections that ask something of me. The legalist forgets that we have been welcomed into the house and set free and that we stand forever fully in the grace of Christ. And the anti law position forgets that it's not the law, but our sin, our fallen fleshly nature, that's the problem. And that the law reveals the righteousness of God, reveals true neighborly love, and reveals God's purposes for us. The law reminds us that we're not alone, that we actually have connections to one another and connections to God. Both of these ways, legalism and anti law are attractive. But ultimately, unhelpful. And they leave us alone. What I want us to see is in this tension the question, what does the tension say about us? Is the tension invites us to arrive at an honest place? The tension is actually the purpose of the law to consistently remind you and me, I need something more. I need something more than someone telling me what I'm supposed to do. I need something more. God wants us to be honest about the tension so that we have the full heights of our sin and the full depths of our need that we may like Paul. Do you see how Paul comes to his conclusion? What a wretched person that I am. he doesn't stop there. He asks, is there anyone to rescue me? And what he's saying is that the law has brought him to the point again to ask, am I alone? Is there anything besides me and my resources, anyone to help me? And see, what I'm inviting us to think about, what the gospel does, it doesn't take away the law, but it invites us each time we feel its call and the challenge invites us to answer that question, the gospel's answer. You are not alone. There is someone else, and there are resources far beyond your own. God, in his great love, has rescued you. In Jesus, you've moved into a new house and a new family, and the gospel says that you're secure in this home, not because you somehow found a way to ignore the demands of life or because you somehow fulfilled them, but because God allowing us to see that he put all of the law and all of our brokenness and all of our longings onto the person of Christ to be cared for once and for all, that we could be in the family. And once there in the family, secure and fully accepted, that we can learn together by the Spirit of God what is it like to live in new ways, What would it be like to have neighborly love, not so I can earn a place or show that I'm better than my neighbor, but that I can live out the new family that I'm in. In this freedom of God's love and acceptance and the freedom of this home, we have space to actually acknowledge a beginning point, the tension that's in me, that the law reveals my sin. And in that freedom to receive forgiveness, and to ask God's help to walk in new ways. That's who we hope to be individually and as a church, not those who do all the right things, not those who have found a way to get rid of the demands of God and our neighbors, but to walk in the freedom of God's love in Christ. Those who receive the law as our purpose, but those who are empowered by the gospel, saying that you're at home because of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, i thank you for who you are and we thank you for your good word we pray lord that you'd meet us in those moments of tension and despair and that you would remind us that we are not alone that when we cry out we need something more or we need to help the spirit would answer that we belong to you in christ in jesus name we pray amen
5: will
0: you stand with us please and we'll sing together
1: God, we praise you for your everlasting goodness towards your people, for what do we have that is not a gift from you? And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Master Chad he mentions the in the house of Adam <laughs> and in the house of Adam I imagine there is a table there as well one that is uh, for those who look out for themselves those uh, it's a table where uh, that those who are welcome that place favorites to those to those folks it's a table that that that, that we have to do enough that we have to to to, uh, to, to bring our piety, to bring all of our, our smarts, to bring all, uh, all that we have that, it, that it would be all put together. And yet, in contrast to this table, this table of, of Adam is this table that Jesus invites us to today. And it's a table that is open. It is free. It is full of the gracious invitation of God to come and eat, not because of what you've done, not because you have it all put together, not because of anything that you bring, but because because at his table, it is full of sinners, of people who are on the outside, people who are low, but he comes and he gives you the food that not only fills you up, but will make you whole. And so if you believe that today, if you have in faith Put, if you have in faith, put your hope and trust in Christ and come and eat at this meal It is for you. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you would, we thank you for this table. We pray that you would set it apart from a common use to a sacred and holy one, that you would come and by your spirit meet us and nourish us in our faith through this bread and this wine. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I would invite you, those who are taking the elements, to come down the center, center row, uh, to receive them, to hold them, if you would, and to come on back on the sides uh, that we can eat and uh, as one family. If you're not coming for the elements today, but you would like to come and receive a blessing, you're welcome to come forward. Come to uh, my line or Pastor Chad's, and we'll offer a blessing for you. I'm going to invite the servers to come forward as, as we take the elements. body was broken to make us whole let us eat in faith Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins let us drink in faith amen well as a response to the table let's stand together for a time of worship and prayer Lord Jesus, you have made known to us the goodness of God by your perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection. Help us to trust your goodness as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Our faith faith together through the Apostles Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth I believe in Jesus Christ his only Son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended into hell on the third day he rose again he ascended into heaven He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. May be seated.
2: We're going to continue our worship through the giving of our offering. It's a chance for us to respond to the generosity of God and so I want to invite the uh, uh, greeters who are collecting offering to come forward. Uh, There's a gray basket so you can put your community cups in and then the silver uh, plates for offering or you can also give to the church website or text. So you can see the information in your order. Um, just want to take a moment also to say that you're glad, glad that we're worshiping together today. If you're visiting or relatively new to church we're really glad that you're here and joined us today. A couple of things just to note. Um, if you don't receive the the church's weekly email, and like to do that, or if you'd like to share your information with the church, um, there's a QR code in the back of your order, or there's a connect card in the back table back there. You know, fill it out, and uh, we'll make sure that we follow up with you. Other thing to mention is that we are having coffee and bagels after the church service, so hopefully you can stay for that. Uh, because of the weather, we've moved things into the cafeteria. So if you go out the back doors and turn left, you'll see some some other glass doors there. They're open. You can just open those doors. And the coffee and bagels are in the cafeteria. Um, the kids, the children's worship is in that room, so you better hurry if you want some bagels. No, I'm, just uh, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some bagels left. I'm sure. <laughs> and the last thing just to mention, I said in the beginning, but uh, we're inviting everybody during the season of Advent to have an Advent wreath and candles that can lead you through the that season. And so, if you would like to pick those up, there are there's some on the back table. If you already have a wreath, you can just grab a bag with the devotion and the candles. Uh, but if you need a wreath, grab those as well. They're back there and. If those all run out today, we'll have some more that we can bring uh, next week as well. Uh, Let's continue worshiping God and the, the giving of our gifts.
4: please stand and join us for the doxology.
0: Praise God from whom all blessings
2: God the Father, the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace.